Hello, everyone. Welcome to On Purpose. I'm Janice Alpert, where we talk to interesting people and inspirational people about how they got to where they are um, to help you look at your purpose. And are you on it? Are you getting on it? And today is no exception. Today we have Donna Fish. Hi, Donna. Hi, Janice. So nice to meet you. And so we, you know, we always appreciate anyone giving us their time. So thank you. Thank you. Very happy uh, to be here. Thanks uh, for that. Oh, nice. All right. So Really, I usually just start off, you know, most of my listeners know that I don't really know, well, I don't know you at all, uh, other than whatever I looked up a little bit. Um, I, I do know that you're a therapist, that I know, because that's how we kind of connected as colleagues. Um, but why don't you tell me a little bit about your growing up? Did you grow up? I know you're in New York now. Did you grow up in New York? What's, where did you grow up? And actually, I was born in Montreal, Canada. That's oh. what I grew up there. I was there until... Um, the beginning of eighth grade. And then my family moved to Boston. We lived in Newton for three years. Oh, okay. My sister lives in Boston. Yeah. Well, cool. I love Boston. I and love Boston too. Even though I only lived there for three years, they were so formative, you know, that uh-huh. it feels like such a big part of my growing up. Um, and so I never, I actually, the joke is that I never graduated, I, I never graduated middle school or high school. And my husband shows that my education is like a deck of cards. But I went on to college because we moved back to Montreal. Oh, I was going to say, how did you do that? And by the way, I love Montreal, too. I was only there once, but love it. Yeah, go ahead. So wait, so you from K through eight or whatever, from birth to eighth grade, you're in Montreal. And then we moved to Boston. And just because because I moved around and I moved the you know different school systems and my mother was so funny, she would be like, yeah. And I'd be like, I hate eighth grade. Can I like skip my grades? She'd be like, yeah, we'll figure that out. So, so why, may I ask why there was so much movie? Was your father and the- My father, yeah. So my father had a Canadian company and he um, took over an American, which was unusual at the time that a little Canadian company would take over an American big company. And so we moved there for him to, to you know, be okay. there. And then we moved back to Montreal and then I went to McGill. And, um, you know, it's funny because I had actually been obsessed with ballet Ballet and baseball, actually, and hockey, of course. However, of course, <laughs> right. Um, what else do you do in growing up in Montreal? Uh-huh. But I was very, very into ballet, and I kind of progressed. And I was offered a scholarship at Lake Grand Valley Canadian when I was little. But my parents were very focused on me having an education. They were like, okay. "You need to go to college." You know, the life of a ballerina, and that was back in the day where there were no kind of you know programs. Now there are so many college programs where right. you could be a dance major and also right dance. i was gonna say you could do both you could get your college degree and be a dancer yes exactly exactly and that did not exist then so you know i kind of like by the age of 13 i was like okay okay and i kind of gave up dance but then when i ended up moving back to montreal and i was at mcgill and i actually did a bachelor of social work because i was always interested in working with people okay i just, just want to just sure. just in case for people who don't McGill is like the great college in Canada. It's like I don't know if you'd compare it to like uh, an Ivy League school, but I know it's like a great school in case people don't know what McGill is. It's a great university. OK, go. <laughs> and they had a fabulous uh, Bachelor of Social Work program. Okay. And so it was very applied and I, I, I really enjoyed it. But I ended up sort of somehow getting involved in the dance world. Somebody who I was taking a class with said, you know, you should really start auditioning with me. And I ended up just getting work as a dancer while I was wow. all cool. And so I kind of switched from doing mostly ballet. I went back into training 
to, you know, doing jazz and commercial dance and the sort of dance modeling and, and uh, commercial. Wow. What did your, I'm curious, what did your parents think of all that? Well, they didn't mind because I was, I was in college. Oh, oh. so as long as you were in college. Exactly. So just, just going back. So do you have siblings or, and, and. Yes, I have an older sister mm-hmm. who I was always really, really close. She was an amazing big sister who always let me hang out with her friends. Oh, it was so sweet. Nice. Um, um, and she had the same message. So college and education in your family was like, this is what you're doing. Yeah. And that's it. Exactly. Well, you know, they were very in a mean way, but in a because that's my family, like, too. My family, too. Like, it was all about education. And, yep. you know, this is not acceptable. Like we go to the ballet and we go to the symphony, but you don't become a ballet dancer. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can do that as a hobby, I'm guessing. But you're that's not going to be your life's choice. I got it. OK. Yeah. Exactly. But so do you remember back then, just curious, feeling like passionate about like I love ballet? Like, it, yes, I was obsessed. I mean, okay. absolutely. I would dance around my room. I had all these records. I would go to the ballet and every single ballet record um, symphony. And I would literally dance around my bed on my, in my toe shoes. And I was in ballet classes, you know, two different. Okay. So they did support you taking the classes when you were like a kid. So the- yeah, until like 13 when it was, you know, that's when you start to get very serious and you go into okay. training programs and they were very, you know, and also we moved and. and right. So in Boston, no ballet. I did not take any dance classes there. Wow. I really let it Do go. Do you remember feel, I mean, how'd you feel about that? You know, it's really interesting. I think, I think also part of what happened was I was, you know, on point and it was like, God, this really hurts. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, well, I would. It, it, it looks like it hurts when I've gone to the. Not that I'm a big ballet, whatever, but I'm thinking, I don't know how they do that on their toes, but okay. I was like, yeah, this hurts, and I, I think I lost a little bit of my drive. You know, you have to really be a, not like that, ass, but like really want it. And you know, my guess is if I was absolutely determined, I would have pushed my parents, and they would have, okay. and I might have been able to go, you know, get classes. They would have acquiesced, huh? Yeah. And I had a lot of other interests. I was into skiing and I was into theater. I, I had a lot of um, sort of other art, art artsy things. Yeah. yeah. Water in. So I was, I was just, you know, there were so many other things too that I was excited about. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I would still dance and, you know, rock and roll dance at parties and stuff. Mm-hmm. I sort of dropped it. And then, but the interesting thing is that when I moved back to Montreal and I ended up, you know, getting offered a scholarship to train and then you know, again, getting work as a dancer. And I shifted into from like I had had such good ballet training. So I had really good grounding and technique. Okay. Sort of moved into jazz dance. And that really, it was really struck, struck a chord. I was like, that was, oh my God, this is. You loved it? And loved it. And I was able to do it. I just got it mm-hmm. and got work. And so I was able to, you know, I was actually getting paid to dance. Wow. While I was at, at McGill. And, and I finished my degree, and I'll never forget the day I graduated. I handed my diploma to my dad, and I said, "I'm going off to dance now," because I had made a decision that you know, instead of some people go and travel for a year after right. college, I thought I want to get back into training and really, really give myself a shot at you know. Good for you, yeah. And were you, how did your parents? Feel? I, I assume they've supported you also. 
financially. And so now you're saying, here's my degree that we just paid a gazillion dollars for. And I- oh, well, that's the benefit of Canada. I pay oh, right, right. $500 a year tuition at McGill. Wait, I had 500 I had scholarships also, but I $500 a year. Oh, well, there's a lot to be said about Canada for many reasons that we've noticed here in the U.S. Well, you're not, you live here, but I'm just saying, yeah. Um, anyway, so you, you, after college, you finished your degree and a degree. And I, I, I decided I was going to, uh, you know, audition for conservatory programs just to train Wow, and give my, and my parents were very supportive. They were like, okay, okay. They really were. They were happy I got my degree. And then I actually, I came to New York and I, I, I got into NYU and I, I got into this training program in Toronto and I thought, you know, I'm just training. It doesn't pay to pay rent, you know, New York rent. I should just go to Toronto. And I trained there and I ended up after a year moving into the professional dance community in in Toronto. And I ended up dancing there professionally for three years. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you'd know the modern dance world. I started, I shifted. Not not at all. (laughs) Not my category. No. So I became a modern dancer. And um, I know it's very like, um, I feel like experience. I mean, like, I don't know, artsy-fartsy, I guess. I don't know. Well, it's it's very grounded in technique, you know. No, it is. Okay. Taylor, and there's a lot of, you know, the the major Merce Cunningham, but, um, you know, it's very, very grounded in technique. Okay. In any case, um, I got very involved in that community and started to dance professionally in Toronto. Wow. And I also created a program. So many dancers from Canada would go to New York for the summer to train. So I just decided I'm going to create a program to bring dancers to Toronto from New York. Like to so people could just sign up for workshops. I got a Canada Council grant, got a studio, created this program, and I brought a dancer from the Paul Taylor Company, which is a mm-hmm. very big company, modern. Company. You're quite a little entrepreneur, Miss Donna Fish. <laughs> but I had another business before I did all of this. You're not. I, I'm. Sad. Of course you did. Yeah. Go ahead. Crazy. In any case. I brought, her name was Carolyn Adams. For anybody out there who knows the dance world, she was a big etoile, a very big star in the dance world with Paul Taylor. And she said, you have to come to New York, Donna. Paul's opening up a school. You should come to Maine. And I had just broken up with my boyfriend. I always say, thank God for the guy who dumped me. Yeah. You know, all the years and even on the podcast, I go, you know, you might think that you're traumatized by the breakup and you probably are for that moment. But if you trust and wait, it, yeah. it, if it wasn't good and it wasn't right, there'll yeah. be someone else and it'll end up being a gift. But you have to go through that pain first. And sounds like you did. Exactly. No. And so I was very free and I thought, OK, I'll go for three months. What have I got to lose? And I came to New York and I, I also got a job and found an apartment. Pretty it sort of fell into place. And then I started auditioning and I got work as a dancer in New York. And so I never left. And I never has been here and I just kept working as a dancer. And, um, you know, my husband is a dancer, was a dancer then also. He's actually an artist. He was the only dancer I met who supported his dance habit with being an artist. Oh, oh interesting. What kind of art? The glass artist. Okay. He had a glass blowing studio. And mm-hmm. he... so, so when you said you came and you got a job in New York, you got like, did you get a job in social work? You know? Or... No, I left. I really left social work. That was it. I got my degree and that was over. Okay. I got a job. I was teaching aerobics for, I mean, it was so crazy. So back in the day, I'm like back in the early 80s. Okay. 
this body. Oh, and Jane Fonda. I don't know. Exactly. Well, Jane Fonda actually took classes with Gilda Marks. There was this program called Body Designed by Gilda. Oh, okay. And um, they had a they had one in New York, and I auditioned. I also taught there in Toronto. And so I got a job teaching and it was all these dancers and performers and artists and, you know, everybody who taught. What's going through my head is because of what I my specialty is like, this sounds like a room full of people with eating disorders and uh, are to be. Con- or go ahead. Go ahead. For about how, how my specialty developed. So, you know, I ended up I had that job and it was the perfect job as you are auditioning. So when okay. forming or getting paid for rehearsals, I could stop that job because we were all performers. So we would flex with the schedule. We all covered for each other. Okay. Perfect um, dance job. And I ended up teaching really interesting, every famous, you know, actor, person in, in industry, you in media. I mean, it was well, back then. There were no studios. This was it. Okay. Uh, it was just such a ball. We had. I was going to say, how fun. I mean, I... Uh, I love I love movie stars and TV stars and cool. Go ahead. Actually, gotten to put people in alignment. Many many people. <laughs> Anyhow, mm-hmm. got to touch a lot of people's bodies back. I the bet. Day. I and, bet. But that was probably okay back then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It was the shoulders. You know. You know. Sting- yes. So, in any case, um, so I was you know working in New York. Met my husband, and then after some time, you know, I think what had happened was I you know I, I got older. And I just thought, I really want to have a career I can get old with mm-hmm. that have to, you know, look a certain way. There was such an emphasis on looks. Exactly. Because yeah. I've worked with dancers and ice skaters and, oh, my God, and gymnasts. Exactly. Exactly. And um, I just thought, you know, and I really loved the social work program. And I just thought that I remember reading a book and it was about some author and she was talking about her therapy sessions. And I thought. The light bulb went. I was like, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I went back to school and I applied and I went back to Columbia School of Social Work and that was it. And then I kept training and I developed a specialty in eating disorders because I thought I wanted to have a specialty um, mm-hmm. in my practice. And I myself had had, I was one of those chronic dieters, like on off, yep. right? For a show or an audition. Yeah. The sort of rigid and thinking I just can eat, have to eat this kind of food. Mm-hmm. And then when I, you know, got my first job out of school and I could wear clothing, I thought, mm-hmm. God, I'm not going to get fired if I gain five pounds. Exactly. I kind of trained myself. I call it eat like a kid. Mm-hmm. And just to go back to that kind of intuitive eating, they call it now. And, right. you know, I sort of really taught myself how to eat. And then it was just kind of amazing. And I thought, you know, let me, I'd love to work with performers and with you know, people who struggle with this issue. Yeah. And so I did a three-year training program at the Center for Study of Anorexia and Bulimia. Mm-hmm. And then sort of branched out from there and, you know, took off my whole career. And and then, I you know, I do. Well, obviously you do. A, yeah, I, hey, the, my specialty was it, uh, you know, as well. And then, but if you practice long enough, people come to you for whatever, other things, anxiety, et cetera. So, but that became your uh, field of expertise. Um, yeah. yeah. And I trained in doing all, you know, couples treatment, DBT, mm-hmm. DBT, you know, the whole nine yards, but that's sort of what I know, you know, a lot of what I know for. And I ended up writing a book because I developed a sort of a program and it was really curing people. And then I met a, a book agent and, and I said, I have an idea that if I teach this program to parents, 
They can mm-hmm. eat their kids and then prevent eating problems from developing. And so he said, that's a great idea. I'll be your agent. He helped me. We wrote up a proposal, shopped it around, and I got, you know, um, it was Simon & Schuster. Uh-huh. Wonderful. What's the name of the book? I'll Take the Fight Out of Food. Had a prank. Solved New Child's Eating Problems. And it's, you know, and so... You know, and from that, I ended up doing a ton of workshops and parenting things and talks and, you know, all kinds of things. And I, mm-hmm. yeah, I write a lot or I was writing a lot, not so much anymore. Right. He's quite continued developing. Right. So when you so, and so as you're doing this process and you're changing, I mean, do you remember any particular like, t- you know, when you say the light bulb went on, was there like a struggle beforehand? Like, how did you know? I mean, do you feel like right now, like, OK, this is what I'm supposed to be doing? Oh, God, the minute I, I mean, it was very organic, actually. I think, you know, timing is everything. And I had yes. felt so satisfied with my years as a dancer. Mm-hmm. I really felt like I gave myself this opportunity. I did it to the nth degree. I, I achieved a lot more than I ever could have expected. And time, time, you know, I sort of, I, I felt like I had hit the kind of little limit. But what I think from what you're telling, your story that's so amazing is that you know, often people, you know, say, well, this is what I'm doing. This is what I feel passionate about. And I've talked about this before on the podcast and how I've I've said, well, sometimes we have to pivot, you know, it, a little, literally pivot. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we have to do that. And people often struggle with that. But from what you're saying, you know, is that you just kind of had your own self-awareness, like, no, I can't keep, you know, I'm whatever you were, 35, whatever. I can't keep doing this when I'm 55. This is this is just not going to be sustainable. And it doesn't sound like you felt bad about that or. No, no, it's funny. I mean, I also, to be honest, I did keep dancing and I actually, you know, and in fact, I still dance. I mean, I still take class. Well, and you're I, a dancer. I mean, that you may not be on you know, professional and have that kind of, you know, pressure on you. But I think if someone's a dancer, like if they're an actress or a singer and they don't all of a sudden stop, you know, it's still in their blood. Yeah. And actually, I did keep dancing professionally. I did keep performing sometimes. If okay. I decided to do a show, I would, you know, sometimes say to my family, OK, I'm going to go off and I'm going to take a little bit more time and I'm going to do rehearsals. But and so I was, you know, I was able to keep that part of myself mm-hmm. at the, and not as much. But it, I really, really wanted. Also, I had gotten married. I was getting older and I really wanted to have children. Oh, right. So I wanted to have a job that I could have, I could really have control of my hours and that, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I was working full-time in psychiatry at Mount Sinai Hospital, which was fabulous grounding for training. I bet. And then I went down to uh, part-time. I was inpatient psychiatry, then outpatient psych in the psych ER. And then I went part-time as I was development, developing my practice. And then I launched into full-time when I had my third kid, I think, or a little. Three, oh, you have three, and with the, and then within all this that you're doing, I'm like, I'm exhausted just listening to it. You have three, you have three children. Yeah, and how how old are the, they now? Or twenty nine, twenty eight, and twenty four. Okay, so you had them kind of right in a row. <laughs> yeah, but that's a lot to have, if you have three kids and then going to school and dancing and whatever. So, yeah, yeah. So well, I was already out of school by the time I had them. I was okay. old them so and I'd already developed my practice mm-hmm. so. so do you remember thinking like with three kids and trying to do all this like feeling like this is too much or like how did you manage those like it sounds like you felt right away I'm on my path here 
Like once you made that shift? I mean, I really, really love, 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 love what I do. I Isn't feel that wonderful. I hear you. I honestly, I can't get up for that. But isn't that what, so, but I'm just curious on your own internal growth path, whatever, do you feel like growing up, like that was your family an introspective family? Are you like, is you, are you, are you like more unique in your family that you're like, like, did you have like a spiritual or whatever you want to call it? Like, other than it sounds like you're very in touch and just naturally, like, was there a background in anyone in your family or her? We have a lot of, you know, we have doctors in our family, not a lot of therapists. No, it was never, yeah, we, nobody was ever in therapy. Yeah. Well, but, who was at that time? <laughs> I think for me, you know, honestly, you know, and I I didn't go into therapy, you know, speaking of therapist, because I wanted to, quote unquote, help people so much. Okay. I yes. I kind of felt like, I mean, I just love connecting and it's absolutely fascinating to me the levels that you you get to use yourself and connect, you know, you do, do it's very analytic, but it very yeah. emotional. there's heart, there's soul, there's spirit. I mean, there's so many levels that go on at all times. And the mind, there's just it's infinitely fascinating human beings. And totally. Connecting. And so there was a through line also, because for me, the part about dance too that I loved, aside from the, you know, the physicality of it and the music, was connecting with the audience. I was mm-hmm. sorry, I was not not very patient with rehearsing, but on stage, I mean I it was connecting. Mm-hmm. There was something about connecting with the people that I felt. And that's what happens in the room with Right. It's in the room where it happens, both yeah. on stage as well as in a therapist's office, I'm well aware. So this ability you have to kind of be in touch with what your gut is telling you. Do you feel you were just born with that more than anything else or like, because not everybody, that's part of the problem with people trying to find their purpose and their passion is I think we all have a gut guidance system, intuition, yeah. whatever you want to call it. And often people don't listen to it for a variety of reasons. I can't lose the job or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think that that's where growing up and the support I got, like my mother, well, both of my parents were very connected, you know, very passionate and really believed. And especially my mother would say like, yeah, you, you know, you want to follow your gut. Your gut can really tell you a lot, like listen to yourself and really give, you know, help me develop a lot of confidence in my decision-making ability. Give me a lot of sort of leeway and and support to just like, listen to yourself. And um, yeah, she's very wise. She's a very, very wise woman. She's still, she's still living? Yeah. She's almost 90. And wow. And we just hung out and she's like walking around, like travels all over. I love that. That's my goal for myself. I love that. Oh, and that she, no, and that she gets to see her grandchildren be young adults. That's what I always say. Let me, I want to see what my girl, everyone's going to be. We do. I want to see them through college or whatever. I want to, I want to see who they're going to be. Well, we hope that that'll happen. Um, So your mom, so that's very, um, I don't know, very, uh, what's the, you know, like, I want like fashion forward, like very forward, not yeah. fashion forward, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. of her to be like, no, follow your gut. Follow. I mean, my parents would never, my parents, this is what you did. And that's what you did. And that was it. And I, I, I've, I've sometimes shared the story that um, when, you know, they had some mixed feelings about husband number one and I, I did not listen and because um, we were in love and whatever. And then later on when it didn't work out for whatever, 
reasons we're all very good friends now. It's all, all matter of fact, this is sort of funny. He just sent me a poem that I wrote. He, I wrote to him when he married his current wife that I wrote like 25 years, like wishing them well. I mean, that's, I thought this is how all divorces should go. I mean, so we're really good because we never didn't love each other. It just didn't work out. But I remember going to my parents and saying, you know what? This just isn't going to work. I think I'm going to, what do you mean you're getting divorced? When you get married, you stay married. And which I, I think that's a lovely concept, but if it's not working, so your mom, because well, my parents would be a hundred, so they're ten years older than your mom. But I mean, if they, they pass, but um, that your mom said, "Follow your gut." It's like a gift. Yes, your and father too. He, well, he was you know, he was an entrepreneur and developed right. My parents from their basement developed literally, you know, multi international company, and you know, he was a dreamer and an engineer, but he really also was very much like absolutely believes in. Follow your passion, follow your dream, get, you know, when you work, you always want to do a job that you love. You know, the money will come. If you love what you do, the money will come. Don't focus on the salary. I say this all the time. Abundance, there's abundance for all of us, but you have to, you have to work hard, but you have to follow what you, what you love. Yeah. Yeah. We were, you know, raised with a very tremendous work ethic, you know. Okay. Everyone is the same. You know, no one's better than you. No one's worse than you. We all have to work. You know, so, but definitely a lot of encouragement to follow your dream. And, and so I think that the gut, when you talk about, you know, that, I think that there was so much in, that was just sort of in my family of mm-hmm. an appreciation. And just, it just was, it's almost mm-hmm. like, you know, it was right. And really- do you feel you've been able to pass that along to your kids? Like, do you feel like they're following? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I very much encourage them in their 20s. Like, yeah, it's the time to really give yourself time. My oldest daughter was an amazingly talented actress. She's a musician. She's a singer. Um, both of my two of my kids are incredible. Well, they've uh, got two artistic parents, so I can imagine that they, there's some uh, artistic genes in there. Yeah. And my husband's a really good uh, musician. And so they really- I'm just talking about performing in general. Yeah. They definitely got some of that from him too. But so, so yeah, you know, we really, I've definitely encouraged them and, and, you know, and, and all at the same time while saying, Hey, you got to support yourself. Like exactly. On your own after college, like. <laughs> that's, no, I, that's what I'm saying that it, it's not, it's not like anyone is saying here. And I've never given this message. I hope like follow your dream and don't worry about food. You know, you, you have to do both. You, you, yeah, you, you don't have to, but you do have to eat that you, that's a have to. Um, but if you follow your dream and you trust that, like, I love what you said, you got a job when you got to New York, but you still went to dance class and then found a job that you could kind of have a flexible schedule. So that worked. Um, and now you're still, you know, at the stage of life, loving your career. It sounds like you're still working. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. So when you have people who are like, um, we can talk about anything, a bad relationship, uh, a job that's not fulfilling, and they know in their gut, like, no, I can't, uh, this is not going to work. But there's, because, you know, there's so much fear, especially in the world today, um, that, we're, that we yeah, we can't move. We just aren't going to go take that risk. Any, any thoughts on what you, any tidbits that you would offer? Or? Well, you know, I always say at the end of the day, you really have to live with yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You have to feel good about yourself and the way you're showing up in the world, the way you're showing up to yourself. Mm-hmm. So that can really help people think through and feel through, you know, not just rationally, but right. You no. Know, so things are, you know, you can have like 
eight good reasons not to do something and one bad reason to do it. And the the thing that or the the weight of these things are subjective. You know, you could have all these rational reasons, but the it's how you weight them. Mm-hmm. If you care so much, if this one thing will, it, it, it's like a hundred percent versus like all of these things. There might be like a million things on the list on the other side of the equation, yes. but they don't add up because you don't feel that you don't care. You don't care about. It. So I really get to also help people like really imagine forward, like really imagine it, so you. Okay. Can- Feel it like viscerally, like almost like really visually, viscerally, intellectually, heart-wise, you know, every every part of you, like really imagine it and how will you feel about yourself? You know, let's look at all the factors. What's important to you? What do you care about? What's your core value? No, exactly. First of all, everything you're saying, I 100% agree with and share with my clients as well. You know, I I always share the story about... um, I wrote a book, I wrote a couple of books and when I first wrote it and I thought, well, who's going to ever publish this and I, what am I going to do? I put a sign on my, um, where I put my makeup on, whatever, with a picture of the title of the book. Um, at that time, Barnes and Noble was the popular bookstore so that I'd be speaking at Barnes and Noble. And then, you know, Oprah was in Chicago. So I had a picture of Oprah so that I would be on her show talking about my, about the, you know, the book and eating whatever. And every day I and I would say, I am on Oprah, I am on, you know, I whatever, while I was putting on my makeup. And now in between all that, I had to write the book. I had to contact people. I, you know, there was work involved. You can't, you whatever. Meanwhile, all those things happened. Yeah. And um, so yay, I was like, couldn't have been more excited and whatnot. But, you know, I think what people have often said even to myself, like, well, I can't believe it. You're like, how did that happen? I go. So it's like, to me, the message that I guess I want to say is, is not just about patting myself on the back, though I am proud of that. Um, and, and I'm sure you're proud of all the things that you've accomplished is you still have to do some work. It's not just going to be, but if you trust inside. So, cause I did too, I, I had a feeling, um, well, it took a little while. I, I, mine wasn't quite so, uh, it took me a while to sort of say, oh, I think I want to be a therapist. I think I want to help people. Oh, I think I want to open a practice. I think I want to write a book. There were many steps in that for myself back when I started 40, you know, 40 years ago. Um, but once I was on the, the, whatever you want to call it, the treadmill, the, you know, the path, then to yeah. me, there was no turning back because, and it's really funny, even now, you know, so I, I'm work part-time now and semi-retired and um, do the podcast, of course, which I love. But even now, I think I'm putting it out there in the universe. We'll see what happens. I feel like there's like one more thing maybe I'm going to do yet. And I don't know what it is. But I think when you're open to it, I've already told the universe that it can't be too much because I am, you know, not a spring chicken anymore. But I think if you're open to whatever the world has and you're willing to listen, and if it touches you in your soul, then you hop on the train and you do it and good things will happen. Well, the other thing, and I, I just want to add to this, which yes, please connects with that a bit, is that I think another thing that really helps if you go through very embarrassing things too, that you fail. And then you can get through failing. Yes. Because, like, for example, um, I, you know, it said, you know, I had this agent and he shot this yes. manuscript around or not even the manuscript. It was just a proposal. And we had three, you know, big publishing houses bidding on it. And I got, uh-huh. you know, anyhow, so then I have to write the book. And so I wrote hundred page manuscripts, submitted to my agent, I'm my editor, and she said, she called up my agent and she said, this is terrible. 
Mm-hmm. This is not what I bought. And oh my goodness, I thought she was going to make me send my advance back. And I was mortified. I'm going to be And I just, and what had happened was I was working with, he had paired me with, a, a, I guess, a ghostwriter. Yeah. And so I was talking with her and it was a little too much in third person. Yes. And so distant. And then what happened was I just, at three in the morning, I couldn't sleep and I sat down and I wrote the introduction from my heart. Yeah. So I'm walking in, I'm having a conversation to you, the reader. Yes, exactly. That's how I write. And I sent it to my to, to the editor and she was like, perfect. That's exactly the voice I want. And so I ended up writing the rest of the book. And my, the, the person who was working with me, she was great. She helped structure it to some degree. Yes, I understand. I wrote it and, you know, and that's what I, and so, but I'm, I'm saying that as a illustration of like, I was mortified. I was so embarrassed. Do you, if I told you how many exactly rejection letters I got, I used to save them. I do. I still have them in my basement just because each rejection letter I would get, I would go, well, one more opening, one more possibility for the one that's going to say, yes, I'm done with them. And then I'm going to, and then I did. And yeah, so I think there's a sort of chipping away at like this yes. thing in Paris. Mm-hmm. And I, ashamed. I wrote an article um, called Take Pride in Shame. Because right. Like, hey, it's so what if you can get really used to kind of feeling like, you know, kind of embarrassed and. Yes. I'm kind of ashamed of myself. Like it's so, can you know, you could really connect. And then it's like helps people not be so scared. That's it. Because, you know, you got to keep trying. Exactly. You know, listen, we're all afraid. Nobody wants to have, you know, failure. But my son had a poster, I think he still has it, of Michael Jordan um, in his thing that that says it's a picture of him doing a basket. And he says, um, I've shot, I don't know, a million baskets and I only made 500,000 or whatever. But okay. I, I'm, I'm making this up. I But it, that's the theme is that and that's OK. The, yeah. that you have to be willing to tolerate those uncomfortable feelings if I'm not getting it on the first try, if you still in your soul say, no, this is what I want for my life, then you say, just what you said, this is embarrassing. I'm mortified. Okay, next. What's my next step? And then you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, Donna, amazing. Everything you're saying is like I, you and I could be girlfriend. I mean, I totally agree with everything you're saying. Thank you so much for sharing your story. So right before we close, if you were going to say one thing for someone I mean, you kind of did about, you know, being yourself, but any other like closing, I, I, I have a, a quote that I always, I always end each thing with a quote and I did read that you were a dancer. So it, it has to do with dance. It's not totally coincidence. Sometimes it's just like a crazy coincidence, but this one I picked because um, the one thing I did read was, um, and then that's all I read because I didn't want to know too much more about you. But um, anyways, but I didn't know anything else that you just shared that was like an amazing story about your dance thing and college and everything. Um any thoughts that you would want to say? Someone is listening right now going, but I've got this thought and I know I need to change, but. I like to always look at the really good reasons first not to change. Ah. And so, so it's called the positive reframe. Let's look at, I always look at the positive advantages and the great things that any negative feelings say about you and even negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like I can't do this. Like, so what are the, you know, what might be some possible advantages you know, oh, okay. you protect yourself from something, right? Disappointment. Okay, so being able to protect yourself is a really valuable, you know, tool. And that says great things that you, you know, you you want to take good care of yourself. Yes. I like to first 
look at the positive aspects. Okay. And then, and, and there might be some really good reasons to change because sometimes when you, you take the side, because people, we always have good reasons to not do what we want to do. Of course. Hey, we're humans. Come on. Exactly. It's a to least resistance. Yeah. Exactly. And so if you could be sort of open eyed instead of like saying, oh, it's terrible. I shouldn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. we all have resistance. We all have good reasons not to do the things we say, you know, we want to do. So then it's just really kind of reframing that. So you can be, on, you know, really sort of honest and, and be like, okay, well, maybe I could take the other side. And maybe there are good reasons because the good reasons to change kind of outweigh the reasons not. I, I think that's, I love that. First of all, it's really concrete. And I love that. What I'm sure many math clients would say, that's the number one thing Janice says, don't give me a should. Because I always say feelings are not right or wrong. They just are. Now let's examine them. So don't judge them. You need them, all of them, including the ones that are stopping you, because I agree they're serving a certain purpose. So, um, but that doesn't mean the purpose is that I shouldn't do what I'm supposed to be doing, whatever that might be. Okay, Donna, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much. So nice. I feel like we just had like a little girlfriend chat. It was like just a pleasure, but with insight, with insight. I'm happy you, you found your purpose and keep doing it. It sounds like it's great. So good for you. Thank you so much. I'm going to end with a quote, which I always do. Um, where's my little quote here? Okay. Because it was about dance. Okay. When you dance, your purpose is not to get to a certain place on the floor. It's to enjoy each step along the way. I don't remember who that was from. But anyways, but that's kind of the idea here in finding your purpose is that you want to be able to enjoy as much as you can, but also know that each step is going to take you in a different direction. And that, that's my interpretation. And that's that's a good thing. All right. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day. Um, all right. That's it for today. This is Janice Alpert with On Purpose, hoping that you're doing your purpose and maybe even on purpose and with purpose. Um, and with that, uh, I'm going to sign off. Bye-bye.